two of the Golden Knights Watch podcast. I'm Jack Manning. I'm AJ Alexander, and man, I'm glad hockey is back in Vegas. We have a game tomorrow, right? Yeah, we had a we have a game tomorrow. We probably had Golden Knights uh, AHL Silver Knights games over the weekend. Ah, oh, alas, this is the this is the fever dream that we're living in—a fever dream just like those suffered by the Golden Knights coaching staff. Is that too soon? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Quarantine's uh, only two weeks. The jokes only last so long. All right. So as, as folks at home know, the Vegas Golden Knights have been struck by the COVID protocols. And there are three coaches. One player happens to be the newly signed Alex Petrangelo out of, uh, of availability. And all Golden Knights games canceled until next Friday. The Henderson Silver Knights game uh, this past Saturday night. Uh, canceled during the third period or just before the third period because a player from the San Jose Barracuda uh, tested positive just before the game. AJ, what do you think of the world of COVID? How are the Golden Knights going to make it through this? One might say that they've actually been thunderstruck by COVID. (laughs) Anyways, I cannot believe that the San Jose Barracuda player eventually tested positive was even allowed on the ice during that game. They didn't have a a result for the test yet until uh, the beginning of the third period, presumably between the the second and third. Why was he even allowed out there without a definitive result? Yeah. So you and I chatted about this a little bit before we started recording and you know, I, I'm willing to give the AHL the benefit of the doubt. And, and first things first, I think it's fair to say that these players are probably tested every day. And if, not, if they're not tested every day, then you can, you can forget everything I'm about to say. But assuming they're tested on the daily, and this player tested negative the day before the game, he probably tested negative two days before the game for the, uh, for the Friday evening game. My guess is... They felt comfortable that he didn't have COVID. They tested him that day, didn't have the test back in time for puck drop. And they said, well, he hasn't tested positive. That doesn't mean he's, you know, that he's negative, but he hasn't tested positive. So why, why hold him out? You don't, you don't think that's okay? I have a few problems with that. Yeah, because, okay, let's just assume that they've been practicing every single day. Then, yeah, they have been testing every day. But I don't see players coming in on off days to test that just doesn't make sense especially with the ahl again presumably paying for the tests themselves on an already shoestring budget we know that the nhl has to pay for their own tests with that said this was a preseason game for that's that's the probably the biggest thing for me this is meaningless relatively speaking but on top of that but on top of that why take the risk when we know there's asymptomatic carriers? There's an incubation period that, yeah, you may have tested negative yesterday, but things don't always work out that way. It may take longer to actually take hold in your system. I think this was just an egregious error by the AHL. I don't know if it's a, an agreement that they had before the season that would allow players that didn't have a result to go ahead and play until they got the result. And if that's the case, I'll, I take that back. No matter what the case is, this was an egregious mistake. Unforgivable in my eyes. I don't understand the logic 
But again, if players even came in contact with the player on San Jose Barracudas that does have it, they could, the Henderson players, of course, a lot of them are likely to test negative now. Again, there's an incubation period here. There is so much more to this that I could go on for a while with. I think everyone gets my point. I just do not understand how this was allowed at all. And, and my only defense, again, is, hey, they, they played on Friday evening. Presumably all those players tested negative on Friday during the day or at least on Friday in time for game time. And so, you know, when, when the test didn't come back on Saturday and he, and he had a negative test from Friday, had already played against all the same players, seems relatively harmless, at least at the time. And in retrospect, obviously, it's a lot easier to, to point out where, where they went wrong. It, that being said, in a, in a year like this year, and especially in the preseason, you do have to wonder if they couldn't have been a little bit more proactive, especially when it's not as if there was a, a huge audience in the, uh, in the arena waiting to see these kids play. If they had held the game for an extra 30 or 40 minutes to get the test back, I don't think that anyone loses anything. So it's, it's easy, I think, for us to criticize from the outside looking in. But I think there's probably a fair amount of blame to go around for not the, the Vegas Golden Knights necessarily or the Henderson Silver Knights, no. but the testing protocol in the AHL. Absolutely. And that's what I'm attacking is the protocol rules. I don't know if it's a labor agreement, if it's something that was discussed between players and owners before the preseason or before the season, rather. I don't know. But I do know that however this happened needs to be addressed. Period. Absolutely. So, you know, that takes us back to the the Vegas Golden Knights game uh, last Thursday evening. The Vegas Golden Knights were supposed to play uh, their first game against the, or excuse me, their second game against the St. Louis Blues uh, following Alex Petrangelo's debut uh, against his former team. And unfortunately, due to a, what we don't know whether or not it's a positive test, we assume so at this point, but uh, due to at least one coach and uh, subsequently two additional coaches and a player being Alex Petrangelo ent- entering the NHL uh, NHL's COVID testing protocol, uh, the, the game was called off. And I, to be perfectly honest with you, I was a little surprised to see the game called off. Really? Uh, not because I didn't think that it should be, but more because I wasn't sure that they would, considering that we've seen other games go forward despite there being positive tests and players entering the COVID protocol. And I'm sure there's some, well, after what I just spouted off about the AHL, let me rephrase that. I hope there are certain circumstances that were taken into account with this particular decision, but in one fell swoop within 48 hours, Vegas lost its top pairing on defense. Braden McNabb going to the LTIR and he's an iron man. He was the original Vegas Iron Man along with William Carlson. He's out. Alex Petrangelo, COVID out. As we've seen, we don't know how long the symptoms will last. Side effects, after effects, if you will. We're seeing Marco Rossi from Minnesota out. Isn't he like 19 years old? Yeah, Marco Rossi. He had COVID in November. So, you know, you never know. Go ahead. Yeah, Marco Rossi, who was a, a, a top 10 draft pick for the Minnesota Wild just recently, finds himself headed back to Austria now because 
uh, of complications from, from a COVID infection that he suffered in November before the World Junior Championship. This is a kid that was expected to walk onto the Minnesota roster and be an immediate contributor. And yet here we are watching him head home. So while we're all really hopeful that the Vegas Golden Knights staff and Alex Petrangelo don't have any long lasting effects, I think that's something certainly to, to be mindful of that the Golden Knights just handed out a, a seven year, you know, nearly $9 million a year contract to this guy. And you hope that he's going to walk out of this with, with no ill side effects, both for the human, but also for the hockey side of it. Because if the Golden Knights have that contract long-term and, and he is not his full self, it, it's going to be a struggle. I don't know if that's an if they'll have it long-term. He's pretty much locked into Vegas for that entire contract. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose the word if was, uh, was being generous. I, I, right. guess what, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, with Alex Petrangelo going to be a, a Golden Knight for the next eight years, all we can do is hope that he's going to be fully recovered and absolutely healthy coming out from this. Uh, there was a news report from a St. Louis Blues reporter on Friday evening uh, mentioning that he does, in fact, have symptoms. There's no positive confirmation that he's got COVID. But given that he's still appearing on the, the NHL's COVID protocol list, you would assume that he does. And, and to your point, the the Golden Knights are now without their top pair. No Alex Petrangelo, no Braden McNabb. And McNabb's going to be out for the, a minimum of 24 days and 10 games. And since there are not 10 games during the, the next 24 days, uh, it looks like Braden McNabb is going to be out until at least March 1st. And so that creates a, a really interesting issue where, okay, the Golden Knights now have enough cap room uh, especially if Petrangelo is going to be out for a little while, they now have enough cap room to get all of their, their young players on ELCs onto the roster, not into the lineup at the same time, but, but definitely onto the roster. Oh boy. <laughs> Excuse my uh, excitement there, but boy, oh boy, is it annoying to see Cody Glass and Nick Haig on the roster seesaw with this cap shell game that Vegas put themselves into. Let's just be honest. This is not something that Vegas can play victimhood in. They could have easily shaved off a few hundred thousand off of Petrangelo and Stevenson's contract before they signed them, and they wouldn't have to deal with this situation. But as we've seen, it seems like the front office outthinks itself. It's got big picture on paper in mind rather than details, for better or worse sometimes. I guess that's to be determined, but at the same time, you're looking at this going, Cody Glass in and out of the lineup, unable to really gain chemistry with the line mates he's got. Nick Haig in and out of the lineup, you know, I mean, I guess you can say that at least if he's paired with White Cloud, he's got some previous chemistry there. But this is, I mean, bordering on risking the development of two to three players, because you can argue it's messing with Colazar too. Granted, his stats actually check out. Uh, you and I were talking, you pointed out that he's actually, you know, finding his way, if you will. But this is not the way to develop prospects. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not ideal, obviously. And, you know, obviously you, lo you look at some of the, the weaker teams around the league that don't have any problem finding room for their prospects in the lineup, you know, where there are obvious roster holes and a, a good young prospect can fill that. 
uh, we're obviously in a different position when we watch Vegas. You, you look and it's hard to identify any true holes in that lineup other than potentially a, a, a second top six center to, to go between uh, Mark Stone and, and, uh, and Max Pacioretty. All the credit in the world to Chandler Stevenson for taking advantage of the opportunity to play between those guys. But I think most folks would agree that he is not the best possible uh, center for, for two of the NHL's top 30 wingers. Yeah. And like I told you before, I think that top 30 is probably conservative, but I could be biased. Who knows? Either way, Patch Reddy's off to an incredible start in Mark Stone. Looks like he took another step after the C got sewn onto his jersey. So it's not exactly difficult to play in between those two, especially with the chemistry they have with each other. You're almost just an accessory to them playing. Even more reason why Cody Glass should be on this squad, whether or not it's between them. I mean, I I think that's what the team is driving toward. I know that's what you expected before the season began. I didn't see it quite that way, but I think that's what they're going toward. And, you know, it's like you said, it's not exactly difficult to put up numbers between these two. And, but hey, breakaways, right? <laughs> well, so let's look on the bright side, though, because for the first time in, a, in their history, really, the Vegas Golden Knights have three different young prospects. In fact, four, if you count Zach Whitecloud, four different guys who have played less than, than 60 games in the NHL, all of whom are legitimate NHL players at this point. Uh, Cody Glass is by any definition, a capable NHL player. Uh, he may not be ex- you know, exploding on the score sheet just yet, but he's not a defensive liability. He doesn't look out of place on the ice. And you see these flashes of really high-end skill. Uh, Keegan Colazar is not a, a top six forward, but in a bottom six role, he's been fine. He's got two points across, what, five games so far? That's perfectly reasonable for, for, a, young, for a young player like that who's 23 years old and looking to break into a bottom six role. And then with Haig and White Cloud, both of those guys look like capable NHLers. Obviously, White Cloud is doing even better than Haig, which in terms of free found money, a guy right. that at, at 20 years old had been passed over three different times. And it, excuse me, at 20 years old, a guy that had been passed over three different times in the NHL draft. Now at 24 is a, is a top four defenseman. And could have easily been an LA King. For that matter, he went to their camp before Vegas was even a thing. You have to credit Kelly McCrimmon's relationship with him as far as the Brandon Wheat Kings connection, 100% as far as that signing goes. What a find. What, what an absolute home run of, a, of an undrafted free agent signing. And, you know, if, and as long as we're on the topic, Dylan Coughlin too. I mean, right. he, he hasn't gotten that first NHL game yet. But if, if you've watched him at all uh, in the, in the uh, AHL practices or on the taxi squad, man, he has really stepped himself up. He, he looks like he can be an NHL player as long as his feet are moving. He said he gained 10 pounds, 8 to 10 pounds in the offseason, which is encouraging. We give Cody Glass so much credit for doing that. But Coughlin was a guy who already had a slap shot, an NHL-level slap shot without a doubt. Adding some more strength and power to it certainly can't hurt, especially in Pete DeBoer's system. I think what you're saying is that 
he's likely going to be the player that gets some more ice time in lieu of McNabb and Petrangelo being out. Is that correct? I mean, that that's my best guess. It's, it's always possible that they can call somebody up all the way from, from Henderson to skip over the taxi squad. But I think that the fact that Dylan Coughlin was on the taxi squad, that was the next guy in line uh, for, for Pete DeBoer. This is also a kid that has played now three years in the AHL. He doesn't necessarily need games as much as some other players do that, you know, that are down in Henderson right now. So I think there's a really good chance that Dylan Coughlin comes into the lineup. He plays next to, to Nick Holden and you've got a top four of, uh, of Martinez and Theodore. And then below that is going to be Hagen, uh, Hagen white cloud, because at this point, I'm not sure that anyone would argue that Nick Holden is better than either white cloud or Hague. No way. I don't think you could make that argument with a straight face unless you're really just relying on him being a veteran at this point. But White Cloud has made such a jump and Nick Hague is certainly getting there. He's made improvements uh, from last season. You can, you can definitely see that he's not relying on the giraffe neck stick he has, which look, if you have a long stick, use it. Phrasing pal. (laughs) If you're that tall, you may as well use a stick that reaches to the opponent. But if you're a guy that's 6'6", 235, what are you using your stick for? You know what I mean? And he relied on it a little bit too much last year. This year, he's actually minding his gaps like uh, we were talking about before the recording. Tell us what you've seen. Tell us what you've seen as far as his progression and why that he's fitting in a little bit easier now. He yeah. just has a certain kind of confidence that he didn't have last year. Tell us why that is. You know, I, all I see when I see Nick Hague is a, is a good, big hockey player that looks like he's been in the league for a couple of years. The, he does not look like the young rookie that's struggling to find his way. He doesn't look like the kid who's afraid to engage physically. And, and he's definitely not using his size to, to the level he needs to yet. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But for for a kid who's in his you know right now the 50 to 60 game range in his NHL career he looks like a a guy that belongs he, he no longer looks like a player that is is trying to improve his skating or has had skating deficiencies in the past he looks like a smooth skating guy that can keep up with the pace of play that can join the rush once in a while and might just be able to add a little bit of extra offense and so let's assume just for the sake of argument that Petrangelo is going to be out for a little while. He's going to get an opportunity to play on the power play. I would think he's probably going to get an opportunity that he otherwise wouldn't get in a normal year where you aren't going to lose two of your top four defensemen within 24 hours. I lied to you guys earlier. Nick Hague is six, six, but he's two fifteen. He's not two thirty four, quite yet. He's only Boy, 22. Yeah. He's got some time. <laughs> I guess it's just my fantasy of having a hulking defenseman just mow people over. Nick Hague's getting there. But like you said, he's actually got some offensive credentials as well. This is a guy who scored like 30-plus goals in junior one season. We've seen a little bit of the slap shot in the four games that he's been in the lineup. And just like Coglin, he's going to have every opportunity to rip slap shots from the blue line in this system with DeBoer. So if they don't succeed, it's kind of on them at this point. They're going to have some really unique opportunities. Like you said, that normally you would not see Petrangelo out unless it was an actual injury. This is offering a lot of opportunities that wouldn't normally be there. 
it's a little bit rough. Ideally, you'd like Petrangelo in the lineup, obviously. But, I mean, to be fair, pretty much every team is going through this or will eventually go through this over the course of the season. There's just no doubting that. Yeah, I mean, Pete DeBoer mentioned early on in the season that it wasn't a matter of if, but when COVID would strike this team. And, I I mean, obviously he's right. I, I don't think anyone expected that it would be the coaching staff that would be hardest hit by it. But it's... You got to get go- the bore out of the casinos, man. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that just about every team in the United States is going to have a, a tougher time with this. Even some of the Canadian teams are going to struggle a bit, even though their numbers look quite a bit better than ours. But the but ideally, come the end of the season, most of the NHL, I would think, is vaccinated by then. And this is yet another season that's probably going to have a little bit of an asterisk next to it. And and I think that's okay in 2021 in 20, you know, the year following, I think the craziest that any of us can remember in a long, long time, no matter where you fall on the, on the political spectrum, you can agree. It's been a weird year. I think it's okay that there's probably, there probably has to be an asterisk next to the, at least next to the regular season for 2021. Well, of course, there will be based on games played, but I'm just like the bubble situation in the playoffs last year. I think that asterisk may actually count for more, not less. Usually an asterisk is, you know, a qualification. This team only won because blah, blah, blah. I think, you know, having to dip into your taxi squad and maybe even more than that especially when you're a team like this where they're already playing games with the salary cap and trying to juggle things. I think it's more of an accomplishment personally. That's just my opinion. And you know, that's fair enough. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying, Oh, the, the person who wins this year doesn't, you know, doesn't deserve We've got it, you but... on tape, Jack. We've got you. On tape. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is, all right, this is a year where they're only going to play within the division. This is a year where they're going to play 56 games best case scenario before the playoffs, there won't be conferences. So uh, this is just a different season altogether. So it's not necessarily better or worse or harder. It's, but it's definitely different. Oh, it's harder. It's harder. That's, that's, that's what I said. It's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in that same vein, one of the biggest things in hockey, especially in T-Mobile arena is momentum. Now that's already gone based on the fact that there are nobody in the stands. But this herky-jerky sort of stop, then start, then maybe even stop again season, how hard is that for not only the rookies or the younger players like Haig and Glass and Colazar, et cetera, but for guys like Pacioretty, who I think pretty sure I did the math, don't check this because I'm positive I did check it and I'm positive of my math. He's on pace for 1,067 goals this season, and – you really need momentum to continue that. How hard is it dealing with this off and on BS that unfortunately in the COVID world is what we're going through? Yeah, I, I think there's no question that anytime a team takes a week off, it takes a little bit of, of time to shake the rust off. Especially with hockey players, they're creatures of habit. 99% of those guys have their own little routines. They do just driving to the arena let alone practice and everything else that goes into the day-to-day life of being a hockey player. All of that is just ripped away in a moment's notice sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you, th- you think about where teams are generally when they come out of the, the, uh, the NHL break for, for the all-star game, 
Usually it's a, a, it's a sloppy, ugly brand of hockey that comes out r- right after those games. And, and I think you're probably going to see something similar when the Golden Knights come out of this. So the, the first game, fortunately, that they're going to be playing is against the LA Kings. So again, another soft landing for them. They play the Ducks after that. And they're going to have four games to get up to speed before they have to play the Avalanche. So fortunately for the Golden Knights, I don't think the impacts are going to be quite as much as if you know they were coming straight out of this and had to play had to p- play the blues again that's i think that's a different task altogether so or sh- the sharks you know how <laughs> tough they are this season. you know eric carlson making 11 and a half million dollars a year oh. uh, just good for him you know good for, for him. his agent anyways and his wife but you not know, great for san jose and you know how often did we hear before the season he's finally healthy for the first time in years, Eric Carlson's fully healthy. He's coming. Back. No, I'm sorry. He turns 31 in, in May 31st, and he's got three points through eight games. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not the lowest scoring defenseman in, in the NHL, but if, you, if you're the, the, the head coach or let alone the GM of the, of the San Jose Sharks, what do you do with those contracts? You're going to have this aging core for the next seven years eating up a third, of your, a third of your salary cap, and you don't have any prospects coming, not really. Right. It's going to be a really tough slog for, for San Jose. I mean, worse than just about any other team that I can think of. That I has- think it'll be very Detroit-like with their rebuild. Even worse, perhaps, because you're strapped to that Carlson contract. I mean, why they haven't moved Burns to forward, I don't know. But that aside, maybe their one or two number prospect, Ryan Merkley, still hasn't made the jump yet. And you're still talking about possible attitude issues with him. I don't know. And, and this preseason, well, before the season started, rather, you know, scouts were saying that Merkley did not look good. And you're looking at the cupboard. It's pretty bare. That being said, they almost did have a Detroit-like run without the Cups because how close did they get and how often were they in the playoffs? You have to give them a load of credit, but it came down hard and it came down with a lot more strapped money to it than expected. And how glad are you that we ended up how glad are you that Vegas ended up with Mark Stone instead of Eric Carlson? Because before the Stone rumors started, Carlson was tied to Vegas. Yeah, I mean, most Vegas fans, I think, will remember that right around the trade deadline of the inaugural season, Vegas was rumored to have Eric Carlson lined up. Now, and the offseason. And the, and the following offseason, you're right. But, I mean, thank goodness that that didn't happen. I mean... It, Maybe in the year that the Golden Knights went to the Stanley Cup final, adding a, a prime Eric Carlson, who was still a 60-point defenseman, and still can do some really impressive things. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes he flashes that, that old right. Eric Carlson. But, if you but that's added, not what you pay $12 million for. Oh, I agree. Flashes. Yeah, no, that's you, what I'm saying. You need a, a, a Norris-caliber defenseman if you're going to be the second-highest or third-highest player in the league. That's just not who Eric Carlson is anymore. And so I think you're exactly right. I think it's going to be a long, slow rebuild that's going to take them probably five, six, seven years because 
when they made that trade for Eric Carlson, they sent their last couple of good prospects out the door with the cupboards absolutely bare. They, they added some, some good players this past draft. Thomas Bordalo, who is uh, line mates with Vase Gold, nice prospect. Brenda Brisson, I mean, he's been outstanding. Yeah, they look great together. He's been really, really good in the NCAA, but he's still a couple of years off. He's another guy. He's five foot nine. So, you know, he, he's not going to come in and save the world for these guys by any stretch of the imagination. Just to throw, since we're comparing stats, I just want to throw this in as a transition piece to our next segment here. But just FYI, everybody, through three games, Cody Glass has two points as we record Sunday evening. Nikita Gusev, one point through nine games or eight games. Yeah, tough, tough season so far for Nikita Gusev, who's in a contract year. Uh, had, a, had a really nice pace going, almost a point-per-game pace towards the end of last season uh, and picked up absolutely nowhere close to where he left off. Absolutely tailspin from where he was. He's had some really nice plays. Uh, is getting two to three shots a game, but man, just cannot put the puck in the net and can't find anyone to score for him. And I know last year it was New Jersey, one of the worst teams in the league, but he still managed, for, I think, 44 points without looking it up. Yeah, he was, he was near on there. about a 55-point yeah. pace. So you'd expect for that to be at least close to the same pace this year, if not more, you know, gaining more knowledge and uh, playing time with the smaller ice, but it just hasn't been that way. And it's, not, it's, like just New Jersey Devils, it's not like the New Jersey Devils have been losing all that much. They, right. they are comfortably in a, a playoff position in a, in a really tough East division. Now I, I don't necessarily think they're going to stay in the top four. We're, t- we're right. 10 games in, there is still 90 per, or 80% of the season left to go, but, Right now, they've been playing fine, and you would expect that a team that's winning that much, that's got a guy like Jack Hughes leading the way, that there'd be room for some extra scoring from a guy like Gusev. But man, whether it's the situation or whether it's the player, I don't know. But <laughs> right now, that second and third round pick is not looking like the worst trade Vegas has ever made. I think it's pretty clear that... Nikita's basically trying to tank his value so he can come back to Vegas. I think it's pretty obvious if he didn't pick up on that. I'm sorry, but, you know, to me, you know, pretty clear. Try to keep up, folks. (laughs) That transitions into another Russian player on the team all of a sudden, or at least on the payroll anyway, Pavel Dorofayev. What's going on there? Yeah, all of a sudden, he's in the organization. Unbelievable turn of events. Pavel Dorofayev, who had been playing for Tractor Chelyabinsk's uh, second, uh, second division team, uh, which is, oh, God, it doesn't matter, really. Uh, no. He was playing in the second division for, for the KHL in the VHL, and at his own expense, buys out his own contract, pays a pretty, pretty... That's pretty significant. Yep. Pays to get out of his contract in the KHL to come and play in the AHL for the Silver Knights. And he was really clear. He he did not expect to walk onto the Golden Knights right away. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to... that refreshing? Yeah. And and he (laughs) gave an interview saying, hey, my only goal is to go establish myself in the AHL prove that I can be a valuable asset and I'm going to try and challenge for a roster spot some point down the line. I mean, this is a kid who's ready to put in the work. Uh, 
he has not been lighting it up in Russia. And that's, I, I want to preface this by saying his, his, his production has only gone down since being drafted. However, I will say that he has the raw talent to do a lot more. In fact, he's, he was expected to do a lot more. So I wouldn't Absolutely. say that that's you know, going to continue. And so I guess what I'm saying is that putting him in a position to play the role and the, the, on the size ice that he really needs to play to succeed is going to do wonders for, for him, I think, or at least is going to give the Golden Knights a better idea of what they have with him. Because he, he played all of last season in the KHL, walked away with only a few points. And one of the biggest issues at the time was his strength. He's probably put on 10 to 15 pounds since last year, is starting to look like he's getting some man strength. And he's a very smooth skater, even if he's not explosive. So what you're going to be looking for from him is more consistency and a faster pace of play. When he's, when he's doing what he does best, he looks magical. I mean, it's, it's almost Datsukian at times, but that needs to come out more often. It needs to be more consistent. And I think that he can do that if he's being pushed to. I think there's a, a pretty decent likelihood that he found himself buried in the, the depth chart for a pretty deep Russian organization that knew that he was eventually going to go to North America. So they weren't investing the time and energy they needed to in him to put him in a position to really succeed because he wasn't going to stick around. How much easier would it have been for guys like Sergei Fedorov and Pavel Bure? my favorite player and yours respectively to just buy out their contracts in the nineties instead of having to defect yeah, to, to, <laughs> in to the be, middle of the night. like to a be mission disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is he still a top five prospect in the system for you? No, not for me. Not anymore. Really? Uh, I, th- I think that he's, he could be, I think that the, the ceiling on this kid is a top line special player. Like there, there is a real chance that he can be an elite, elite player in the NHL. But I would say that the likelihood of that happening is probably 10% maybe. But I think there's room for him to, to fall somewhere in the top nine you know, in the next couple of years. But it's going to take a lot of hard work on, on his part. But you don't come to North America. You don't leave your entire home behind if you're not planning to work hard and you don't want to succeed. So to me, he is among the highest ceiling players, but the likelihood of him reaching his ceiling is, is entirely up to him. And there are more people rooting for him than rooting against him. So it, all of, everything is working in his favor. He just has to grab that opportunity and run with it. So it's safe to say you put Morozov above him as the number one Russian in the uh, system, correct? Yeah, I mean, so Ivan Morozov playing for Ska St. Petersburg this year has just been absolutely awesome. I I, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it's something like uh, 18 points in his last 14 games. He's playing in the top six for one of the best uh, teams in the entire KHL, certainly the top team in his division. And he's the number one scoring a player under the age of 22 in the entire KHL. This is a really, really good player that has, I would say, top six upside. Um, plays a, a game that's sort of similar to Nick Waugh, uh, but a lot more skilled than Nick Waugh is. The, the ability for this guy to create goals out of nothing, uh, a backhand shot that is almost as lethal as his forehand, there is a lot to really like about him. Dogged on the puck, 
plays traditional misfit style hockey, really heavy on the forecheck, solid defensively, and just smothers the defense in their own zone, forcing pucks out into, into really greasy areas. It's really fun to watch him play. You mentioned some of Dorofayev's game as Datsukian, but then you mentioned Morozov's backhand. That's the Datsukian quality I see. I've never seen a backhand since Datsuk like that until your highlight videos, which can be found at NHL Jack Manning on Twitter. Yeah, I, if you guys haven't been following my, uh, my, my Twitter page for the highlights, you, know, you don't have to pay attention to anything else I say, but at least look at the highlights because, man, there are some really impressive things going on in the prospect world. E- even today, uh, Lucas Cormier, who was a third-round pick in 2020, Puts up two goals and an assist in the QMJHL, is leading all defensemen in QMJHL scoring. That's the Quebec League. And this is a kid that, although short, five foot ten, I think, maybe five foot nine or five foot ten, he's a little guy. Uh, Easy for you to say, Mr. Six Five. <laughs> so, but my, I guess what I'm saying about him is that it's, he's, if he was five inches taller, he'd be one of the top prospects. Uh, in all of hockey, and from a statistical standpoint, is one of the top prospects in all of hockey. I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or not he can overcome a size difference. Uh, the one thing working in his favor, or at least one of the things working in his favor, is the kid is built like a fire hydrant. I mean, just just short, stocky, but moves okay. His skating is probably just okay, but he's he is he is sturdy, and you know if. If, you're, if you've got a low center of gravity, hard to knock you off the puck. It's going to be interesting to watch a kid like this, uh, but you can see his highlights along with just about every other prospect in the system uh, as they come in. So, so really don't, don't, don't hide. Don't run from me. Follow me. So you have to mention one of those prospects by name that you've been having a lot of fun with, Jackson Hallam. Yeah, Jackson Hallam. Really you know, a bit of fun season for him. It's, it's not been typical. Uh, he started the year uh, playing for basically a club hockey team, then goes to the USHL, the United States Hockey League, for seven games uh, where he puts up seven points and f- scores five goals, decides that, you know what, he doesn't want to play in junior this season because he wants to go back and play for his high school team so that he can chase Minnesota's Mr. Hockey title. And You're seeing more of that, actually, with prospects. Yeah, a little bit more. Imagine it to be a similar trajectory to Jack Dugan in terms of walking before you run. In this, in Jack Dugan's draft year, he was he was passed over, but he still went back and played for Shattuck St. Mary's and got noticed at Shattuck St. Mary's. Gets drafted in his second year and then goes to the USHL, then goes to the NCAA, and it looks like that is probably the the trajectory that Jackson Hallam is on. But in terms of his production this year, so far through six games in his high school league, he scored 17 points, seven goals and 10 assists Mm. in just six games played. He is obviously way, way too good to be playing in that league. So he will likely get that Mr. Hockey title. But the expectation is that either next year or the year after, he's going to end up in the NCAA at the University of Michigan playing with 2020 Golden Knights first round pick, Brendan Brisson. Who again has looked fantastic at Michigan. Yeah, he, Brendan Brisson has also been excellent for Michigan. I mean, we could just go down the list of Golden Knights prospects that are playing exceptionally well this year. 
one prospect that is really interesting to me that I, I don't know what the Golden Knights are going to do with is one Mason Primo. Now, Mason Primo was a fifth round pick in 2019. And in the OHL had a pretty lackluster season, but he finds himself even without a contract sitting at the Henderson Silver Knights training camp, getting a little bit of time to gel with the team. I think that basically the Henderson Silver Knights decided, well, this is a kid that may not get a season this year. We have to decide whether or not we're going to sign Mason Primo by the end of this year, or he's going to have a chance to re-enter the draft. And he's a big frame kid, six foot six, 220 pounds. Runs in the family, eh? Runs in the family. I mean, uh, the Primo family is hockey royalty. And mm-hmm. so I think they're giving themselves an opportunity to see what this kid has been able to do in the offseason. If I'm being honest, I have no idea what their conclusion is going to be. I haven't seen enough of him to have any real opinion on, on the matter. But it's, it's interesting that they are using their camp opportunity to, to give these kids every opportunity to succeed. They don't want to lose a player for absolutely nothing. But the Golden Knights have 48 contracts on the books right now. They have a maximum that they can have of 50. And so they're going to have to choose at the end of this year between a, a number of prospects. You've got Peter Dillertore, who's likely going to join the Golden Knights. He's a two-way defenseman playing for Quinnipiac University. He was a fifth-round pick in 2018. And then you're also looking at Brandon Cruz. Brandon Cruz is the second leading scorer in the NCAA right now, looking like he's going to have an opportunity to potentially even grab the, the number one spot, the number one guys by uh, a dude by the name of Odin Tuftu, who's 24 nice. years old. So he's at five foot seven. So not really an NHL prospect. And, and so Brandon Cruz is a senior this year. And so the golden Knights have until August 15th to get him under contract. So even with those two guys and then Mason Primo, the third guy, they can only sign two of those three unless they move someone else out. So it's, it's interesting to see the golden Knights trying to figure that out sooner rather than later so that they can make some informed decisions. Being a prospect is like playing survivor a little bit. Yeah. You, at, at the end of the day, you just have to keep making it to the next round. You have to keep taking steps forward. And for a guy like Mason Primo, who comes from that hockey royalty family, he'll, he'll get another opportunity to prove himself if it's not with the Golden Knights. That's just how that good old boys network works. <laughs> yeah. But you also don't want to be the team that passes up on a guy that you drafted that turns out to be an NHL player. So, so AJ, are there any players from the Golden Knights this year that have really impressed you, that have really stepped up this year and are playing a better brand of hockey than you would have expected? Or conversely, is there anybody that's, that's really not meeting what you would, what you would have thought after, uh, after seeing them in the, in the bubble? It's a great question. I think Max Pacioretty is off to a fantastic start. There's no denying that. And if you actually move the pucks that hit the post an inch or two here or there, he's leading this, the entire league in scoring. Granted, that's not how it works, but it just goes to show you that on top of the already impressive numbers, he's having a really great start to the year. Yeah, at the time that the Golden Knights broke for the, for the COVID pause, uh, the, this little mini COVID pause anyway, Max Pacioretty was leading the league in goals. So it's been really refreshing to see him continue that, that same pace that he was on last year. Meanwhile, Mark Stone, at the time that they broke for the season, was leading the, the league in points. So it, for a team that was really struggling to put the puck in the net 
uh, towards the, the end of the bubble run. Really nice to see these guys put some points on the board. I mentioned White Cloud. I think that's pretty easy of an answer as far as uh, players that I, I still didn't expect him to, to be at this level by now, put it oh, that way. I mean, to have clearly passed at least three NHL players on the depth chart in Holden, McNabb, and Martinez. I mean, White Cloud has easily been the best defenseman not named Petrangelo and not named Theodore uh, on the Golden Knights. Conversely, though, as far as disappointments, I think it's safe to say that Chandler Stevenson has been a little bit of a disappointment so far compared to what we saw him do last year. Yeah, I mean, when you step up and pay a guy huge dollars uh, after nearly being a, a, a waiver casualty for the, for the Washington Capitals, I, I, I question that if, if he's going to be your top-line center. So, yeah, I think you're right. The, a, a struggle for sure. You know, but you know who has been under the radar good is, is Thomas Nosek. I mean, has really taken a step forward, at least for me, as compared to where he was when he couldn't stick in the lineup. To me, he, he has been the best player on that fourth line this year. And by contrast, I have not seen much impact. I mean, the stats say, tell me a different story, but I haven't felt the impact from Ryan Reeves on the ice this year. Yeah, before the show started, I sent out a tweet thread because Ryan Reeves, before the season began, actually mentioned that they had chased some hits last year that left them out of position to defend and therefore weren't going to be necessarily going after hits as much as they were in the past. Running the numbers, that's just not true. Both him, Carrier, and McNabb, who were in the top 10 of hits last year in the entire league, are pretty much at the same pace. So, as far as the hitting goes and the physicality that Ryan brings, I, I still think it's there. But you're right. There's just something missing from what we come to expect from him, which isn't much, to be perfectly frank. But at the same time, there is something lacking there. And I mean, geez, the guy's 34 at this point. And for a guy that a lot of other players would label as not a hockey player in the NHL, I guess that's still pretty good. But you're paying him an awful lot just to lead the league in hits. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I have a hard time having much sympathy for the front office and not being able to manage their cap issues. When you've re-signed Ryan Reeves to the contract you did, when you've signed Chandler Stevenson to that contract, when players that are in the best of times going to be in your bottom six are making top nine money, I, yeah. think, that's, I think that's a problem. So I, that being said, if everything's clicking, if they can get into the playoffs with their existing roster, I don't think there are going to be any complaints about the depth either up front or on the blue line. I think we're, we're both in agreement here that there's too many players on the Golden Knights roster that, that are being overpaid for where they fit in the roster. Is it safe to say that Keegan Colzar could easily fit in for what Ryan Reeves' role currently is? You know, I... I I have such a tough time with this question. I, I look at I look at what Keegan Colazar does. And yes, he's fast and yes, he's physical, but he doesn't seem to have that same presence on the ice that Ryan Reeves does or did around the same age. Now, Ryan Reeves didn't break into the league until about the si same time in his career that 
that Keaton Colzar did, but he had a little bit more of that bravado, a little bit more of that get under your skin, cause the other guy to take a penalty feeling. But at the same time, Keaton Colzar has already drawn four penalties on the season. So, you know, may- maybe I just don't want to give Keaton Colzar the credit he's due because, <laughs> because all the numbers tell me that he's playing just fine when he's, when he's got a regular shift. Forget the games where he's playing as 13th forward. No one can succeed as a 13th forward. But the way he's been playing, at least on paper, is much better than I want to give credit for. So I'm really trying to, to shed some of that bias and watch him with an open mind. It'll take me a little bit longer, I think, but that's fair. I think that's something we should all do. Considering, I mean, geez, there were some games he'd get, what, less than four minutes ice time? Yeah, I mean, give I me mean, a break. If you're going to try and be effective when you're on the, the ice on average once every, every 15 minutes, man, that's a, that's a tough slog. That's a real tough slog. Definitely. AJ, it is so good to be back in the virtual studio with you. We're going to be back again in the next couple of weeks after there's a little bit more hockey to discuss or if there's some more team developments. But AJ, tell the folks where they can find you. They can find me at VGK underscore watch. And I am currently on the list for head coaching in case VGK runs out of coaches. So I'm 32nd on the list. I'm pretty sure you're a little bit higher than that, but (laughs) it's quite possible you see me in a much higher profile role sometime soon. But until then, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can find me at NHL Jack Manning on Twitter. And if you're not already listening to my daily podcast on the Locked On Network, I've got a new daily podcast over there called Locked On Golden Knights. You can find that anywhere podcasts are played, and there'll be a link in the description on our main website. And you can also find my writing on DauberProspects.com. But while the Golden Knights are on hiatus, you'll find us every day on Twitter, out there pushing the highlights, pushing our opinions. And so until we talk to you again, Keep up the watch. Yeah, well, AJ, man, it is good to, to be back in the virtual studio with you. Uh, I hope that you're, that you're doing well in life. I got nowhere to go with this. I got nothing. I'm, I don't even know how to wrap this up. But I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs>